Well, there's an old saying that many of you, I suspect, have heard before. It goes a little something like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you have heard that before? Yeah. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This saying comes from an old English nursery rhyme. It first appeared in 18, 1862, first time in, in print, in an African-American uh, publication called The Christian Recorder. That was The article was written to inspire courage to not be overcome by those who are bigoted and use words to destroy and to tear others down. I remember hearing that quote from my grandmother. I was a, a kid who, growing up, uh, was bullied and picked on a bit, and my, my grandparents shared that with me as a way to encourage me to, to not be overcome by hard words that, that people might say to me. And I trust as we hear that, there's, we would all agree that there's, there's truth to the saying. But I suspect anybody who's lived very long also knows that that, that statement needs a little bit of, of clarification. Because words, indeed, they can hurt you. Words, in fact, can be some of the most lethal weapons waged against you. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like the thrusts of a sword. Words can wound deeply. Especially words that are not true when wielded against you or about you. Proverbs 25 says, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. False words are like weapons. False words can have devastating effects on us and our lives. They can indeed hurt us. Rumors have ruined otherwise flawless reputations. Faithful employees have been fired because of baseless accusations. Innocent people, many innocent people, have been executed because of lies about them. This is why God tells his people to be very careful with the way they use their words, particularly when speaking about others. This brings us to the ninth of the Ten Commandments in our series. Exodus 20, verse 16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I asked my kids this week, what do you, what do you think this, this means? And, and Graham, I thought, summarized it really well. He says, don't say something about someone that isn't true or blame someone for something they didn't do. He even rhymed. That was good. <laughs> don't say something about someone that isn't true or blame, blame someone for something they didn't do. We're going to summarize God's word to us this morning and what he might be saying. I'll try and do it like this. We must speak truthfully and honorably about others because they bear God's image. We must speak 
truthfully and honorably about others because they bear God's image. Our words matter greatly. We're going to follow the outline, the pattern that we've been doing in each of the sermons in this series. We're going to ask three questions and aim to answer them. What kind of God would command something like this? What kind of God would tell you to not bear false witness against your neighbor? Secondly, what kind of people would need this command? What kind of people would need to be told don't bear false witness against your neighbor? And then finally, how should we obey this command? How should we aim to not bear false witness against our neighbor? Let's begin with the first. What kind of God would command do not bear false witness against your neighbor? Well, a God who is truth and speaks truth. That's what kind of God. The God would give this command is a God who is truth and speaks truth. In order to understand this command, we have to understand God. God is truth. God himself is, is the source, is the, the spring, is the standard of truth. God doesn't have some book on a shelf that he, he pulls off and opens up and references ideas and says, ah, this is truth. He is truth. He is the standard. His character, his very nature is true. That's who he is. Isaiah 65, 16 says, the Lord to whom we look is the God of truth. That's who he is. He is truth. Jesus, you'll remember in John 14, 6, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the truth. Speaking of the, the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, the spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. Father, Son, Spirit. God's very nature is that he is true. And because he's true, he speaks truth. Because God is true, he only speaks what is true. That means that God never lies. He never distorts reality. He never deceives. God speaks truth. When he speaks, he speaks clearly and plainly and always truthfully. Numbers 23, 19 says it like this. God is not a man that he should lie. Just assuming that all people lie. Or a son of man, they should he change his mind. He's not going to say one thing and then do another in a way that tricks you and you can't trust him. God speaks truth because he doesn't lie. 1 Samuel 15, 9. The glory of Israel will not lie. God will not lie to you in a world where everybody lies to you eventually. He never does. Titus 1-2, Paul writes, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. You can trust God's promises about giving eternal life, about forgiving you for your sins, because God never lies. Never lies. Hebrews 6-18, of the certainty of God's promise in his oath to save sinners who trust in Jesus, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. 
we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You can cling to every one of God's promises and put all the chips on them. Bank it all because he never, ever lies. That's good news. God never lies. When he speaks, we can trust what he says. His claims are always correct. His messages are never mixed. His, his word is never filled with fake news. Fact-checkers are bored with God. They're just never, never going to find anything that he, he doesn't say that's true. Imagine how scary it would be if God was a liar. If you couldn't trust him. It'd be terrifying. It'd be a world of utter hopelessness. And because... We can trust God to always speak the truth. That means when God speaks a word about someone, he speaks the truth about them. That means that God always bears true witness about people. He never bears false witness. Whatever he says about you is what's true. If God says that you are created in his image and that because of that you have inherent value and honor and dignity, then it is true no matter how you feel or what anybody else says. If he says that you have sinned and you are worthy of a righteous judgment, then it is true and you are justly condemned. And if he says that because you've trusted in Christ, that you are justified and forgiven and loved and that nothing can separate you from his love, then it's true. God's, God can be trusted because he always tells the truth. Now, his character is the exact opposite of, of our enemy's character, of, of Satan. Listen to Satan's char character, John 8, Satan has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's who Satan is. Another name for Satan is, is the devil, which means the slanderer, the accuser, the defamer. Revelation 12, he's called the deceiver of the whole world and the accuser of the brothers. So when Satan speaks about someone, he can't be trusted. Because Satan will always bear false witness about people. One of the clearest examples of this is the story of Job, right? Satan accused Job of only worshiping God because God made him rich and happy and healthy and comfortable, which was proven untrue in the book. But that was, that was Satan's accusation against Job. That's what Satan does. He lies. So when God says that he is pleased with you if you are in Christ, God, uh, Satan will reassure you, nope, God's disappointed with you. God is actually angry at you. God's going to take back his forgiveness because of what you did. Satan will only ever lie to you. So don't be like him. God commands, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Because we do not imitate Satan. Rather, we imitate God who is truth and speaks truth. 
Which brings us to our second question. What kind of people need this command? So what kind of God would command this? A God who is truth and speaks truth. Well, what kind of people need this command? People who speak as God's image bearers about fellow image bearers. So who needs this? People who speak as God's image bearers to and about other image bearers, which is everybody. We all do this. We, we always talk about other people. I mean, that's basically all we do. <laughs> we, we basically are always talking about others in some way, shape, or form. Or some of you talk about yourself a lot, but you, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, that's another sermon, I suppose. But anyway, the, the point here is that we're often in our conversation speaking to others about others. And in light of that, God says, be very careful how you do that. Because you're an image bearer, and you're speaking about image bearers. God created us as image bearers. This is something we've mentioned a few times in the, in the series. People, all people, reflect the image of God. Genesis 1, 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So when you encounter another human, always remember you are engaging with one who was created to remind you of your maker. We are, we are intended to be little reflections that there is a God who gives life, who, who is true, who is righteous, who is loving. That's what we're supposed to encounter with one another. So when we speak as image bearers, we must rightly represent the one whose image we bear. When you speak as an image bearer, which is all the time, you must rightly represent God because you're speaking as a reflection of his image, which this is, this is the reason we tell our children not to lie. You don't just lie because it's wrong. That's moralism. Just rules without reason is moralism. The good for goodness sake gospel. No. No, you don't lie because God never lies and you're made in his image. And when you lie, you distort his character. God never lies, so you must not either. You root it in the very character and nature of God. That's what God does with his, his, his commands. Lying grieves God. He hates it. Listen to this, Proverbs 6.16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, which is a poetic way to get to seven. Arrogant eyes, somebody who's always walking around proudfully, always seeing things that they're right. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Seven things the Lord hates. Lying is mentioned twice. Now, the same word is used for both lying and false in there in Proverbs 6, which shows that there's, there's a connection, yet there's also a distinct emphasis. So a lying tongue is a generic statement about speaking falsehood of any kind. God hates when we lie about anything. 
a false witness is lying about another person. It it takes the specific sin of lying to to a, a very specific, malicious, aimed intent. It not only deceives another, but it deceives other people about somebody and how they really are, but it, but it ruins their reputation. It impacts how they are perceived and maybe even if they will live or not, depending on how important the weight of the words are and what they're testifying about. So all, all false witnessing is a lie, but not all lies are false witnessing. In the sense that not all lies affect the reputation of other people. That's the distinction, I think, between just lying and and false witness. And God hates false witnesses. He says it right there. It's one of the seven things that are an abomination to him. Proverbs 19.9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. That was true. The death penalty was was in play for people who would lie on, on the witness stand in Israel and it would lead to somebody else's, it, if, it could lead to somebody else's death. If, if that was going to happen and you were found out to be a liar, you would be put to death. Which is a picture of the ultimate judgment that comes, that if you bear false witness, you stand condemned before a holy God and there will be judgment for that. Lying about others and smearing their reputation is a is a very serious sin in the eyes of God. When, when we speak as image bearers, we must rightly represent God. And we, when we speak as image bearers, we must rightly represent other people. Because of who an image bearer is, we must be careful what we say about them. We ought to always speak about our fellow image bearers with great sobriety. Because of who they reflect, we must show them a level of honor and speak truth. Their reputation matters. Proverbs 22.1, a good name, your reputation, is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver and gold. A good reputation is invaluable. You can be super duper poor, but if somebody knows You've got a really good reputation for being a hard worker, honest worker who's always going to give you a fair price. I'll hire that. We'll hire that person any day. We'll work with them any day. We'll partner with them. I want you to join my company. I want you to be a part of the team. A good reputation is worth more than silver and gold. As I was thinking about this this week, the Lord brought Eric Butterball to mind. I know this is, sorry, Eric, but. Um, as a brother who I've been able to do life with now for about 11 years, and one of the things that characterizes Eric Butterball is the way that he speaks about other people. I've served with Eric for a long time as an elder, and part of eldering is you, you're constantly talking about other people, and you always have to be very careful about the way you do that. And I just want to say, Eric is always, for me, a wonderful example of somebody who's very mindful that he's not just speaking about someone. He's speaking about someone who is loved by God who is listening. Brother, thank you for your example in that. And there's many of you who, who in this, 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 this fellowship 
are the same way. And I want to say thank you for that. Been in conversations where you've seen people stop and say, hey, you know what? That person's not here to defend themselves. We should probably just, we should probably just not, not talk about this anymore and, and either wait till they're here or just, I just don't think we need to do that. Which is not prudish. Like that's just, that's loving. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. Do not bear false witness, the Lord says. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. The Holy Spirit draws attention uniquely here to this phrase, your neighbor, which raises the question, who is my neighbor? I wish there was a parable about that. Um, there's a whole parable about that, the Good Samaritan. Well, I want to say just for the sake of our conversation this morning, a neighbor is anyone we encounter. A neighbor is anyone we encounter. And the closer we are in relation to them, the more heightened your responsibility is toward them. So my wife and children are my closest neighbors. My church family are my very close neighbors. My, my community that I live in, especially those that I see and speak to and bump into on the regular, they are my neighbors. And beyond that, we would say, biblically, that anyone I come in contact with is my neighbor. You think of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was a good neighbor to his neighbor that he found in a distressing situation. Which I just want to say, that is broadened when you speak to or about other people. Whoever hears it, like, it, it impacts them. So just think about writing. If you're, if you're a writer, if you write articles or blog posts, or if you post things on social media, it's impacting your neighbor. It's broad, but it's true. So what kind of people need to hear this command? People who are often speaking about our neighbors. Whenever we speak about someone else, we are bearing witness about them, either rightly portraying them or wrongly portraying them. We are either loving them or injuring them with our words. Words are never neutral. God forbids you, God forbids me from ruining another's reputation without cause. Slander is to speak against someone in a way to harm or injure their reputation. It's to speak a lie about them in a way that, that harms their, their reputation. Titus 3 says, no one should speak evil of another. It's the word for slander. Proverbs 25, 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. I bring that back up again because slander, false witness, is a form of abusive speech. It's a way to harm people. When I was in Texas, there was a, there was a friend who was accused by their child of doing something very serious, very wicked. And it began a big investigation. 
police involved and all kinds of stuff. And as they investigated, after about a week, it came out that the child had made up the entire story because their parents had told them they couldn't do something on the weekend and they got mad at their parents and they began this whole story that wasn't true. The person could have gone to jail for a very long time. Could have ruined their entire life. And not everybody heard the cleanup story about it either. To speak against an image bearer in an untrue, deceitful, malicious way is a serious sin. Slander. Does anybody know? Just off the top, anybody know what the Greek word is? Anybody have your Greek Bible there? I know some somebody does. Nope. Blasphema is the word for slander. What word do you think we get from that? Blasphemy. See, you don't even know Greek. <laughs> See? Blasphema. It's a word related to blasphemy, to speak untrue things about God. The ninth commandment is related here to the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. To speak untrue words about God is to blaspheme him. To speak untrue words about an image bearer is blasphemy-like because they are image bearers. Do you feel the weight of that? Just as God calls us to honor his name, he calls us to honor the names of fellow image bearers. He does this because it is good for us personally, it is good for us corporately as a people, and as a society at large. Imagine a world, just for a second, imagine living in a world where everyone was cautious with our words. When we spoke about others, we always gave the benefit of the doubt. It was always kind words. It was always true words. There was no bashing, no trashing, no gossip, no slander, no backbiting, protecting of reputations, not covering evil, but, but being loving with our words. Imagine a world like that where you could trust what somebody was saying about you behind your back no matter what. Now imagine living in a world the opposite of that which is maybe easier to imagine. A world where you never quite knew what somebody was saying about you. Where you're always wondering, are, if I say this to them, is it going to get back around to somebody else? Israel knew that day, Jeremiah 9.4, the prophet speaks about the wickedness of the people. It says, let everyone beware of his neighbor. Put no trust in any brother, for every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. You can't trust anybody around you. Everybody's dangerous in that sense. Can you, I mean, it's just reading that feels, it stirs up anxiety in me. It's just a peace-draining way to live where you can't trust people. Now, this command is aimed specifically in the area of, of the justice system. This word is aimed specifically at this command, you shall not bear false witness. It has a particular focus, first and foremost, in, in the courtroom. In Israel, this is very important because what kind of people need this? Well, they're, they're people who are living together and doing life together, and because of that, there's gonna be, they're going to sin against one another, and they need to, to deal with sin. So God gives his laws, and he gives courts, and he sets up things in such a way that justice can be upheld, and people's lives can be protected. But everything 
in their system depended upon witnesses. Their justice, the justice system of ancient Israel didn't have fingerprints, didn't have DNA testing, didn't have security footage or cell phone footage. Everything was dependent upon witnesses. And the words of a witness, it was life and death for some people. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 19.15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Because lying about others is so easy, God says, the only way you're going to be able to charge someone is if you have two witnesses. Witnessing for or against someone was essential to people being treated justly. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not Go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. God says, when my people are in court, when they are deliberating about someone's fate, there needs to be no partiality, there needs to be no lying, there needs to be no harming each other. Beware of the way you use your words. One more on this, Exodus 23, verse 1 and following. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many. So even if it's popular, do not do evil. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Twice he addresses the issue of popular opinion and how dangerous it is before the Lord to get with that and to lie and change your story to kind of go with that, rather than to say, this is what truth is. Now what might tempt someone to bear false witness? Why might they do it? I'm sure there's many reasons. It'd probably be a good thing to talk about over lunch. Let me give you three suggestions. Why might somebody bear false witness? Well, one, personal prejudices. Personal prejudices to where you see somebody and you assume, based upon what you know, why they did what they did. Classic example of this in the scripture is Job's friends. They look at Job, his life's falling apart, and they're like, you must be sinning. It's evident. No, no, stuff like this does not happen to people unless they deserve it. So you must be sinning. And they bear false witness against him for a bunch of chapters. And in the end, God says, y'all need a, you need Job to intercede for you because you're all condemned. You're all wrong. You lied about me. How'd you lie about God? By lying about Job. This can happen in lots of arenas. It can happen racial biases. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I grew up in a family that was pretty racist, racist background. There were things said about people with different color skin than I had that tempted me early on to assume things about people in ways that was biased and I'm sure I bore false witness against people in my heart and sometimes in my words, I'm sure. That can happen with cultural biases. It can happen with political biases. Oh, they're a Republican. Oh, they're a Democrat. 
oh, they're a communist. Right? I mean, whatever it is. I mean, like, you can just you start just doing this, and you categorize people, and then you can start impugning motive. I mean, like, rather than knowing what do they really think. So there's personal prejudices that everybody has. If you think, I don't have one of those, you are bad deceived. Everybody's got them. And I think it's, it's our responsibility before the Lord to say, where does that show up in me, Lord? Another reason that people might bear false witness is because of personal gain. Personal gain. Remember the, the Naboth story that we heard earlier? 1 Kings 21, Ahab, he wanted Naboth's vineyard so he could turn into a vegetable garden. He starts boohooing because he doesn't have it. Jezebel's like, I got you. And how does she do it? Set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him. You have cursed God and the king. And then take him out and stone him to death. She got false witnesses to come in because he wanted something. There was a thing he wanted. And he was willing to kill other people in order to get it. Aboth got his vineyard. You, you think people could be tempted to lie about others in order to get money? You think people could be tempted to lie about others to get a position? You think people could be tempted to bear false witness in order to get a little power or a little popularity? Listen, you can, get some, you can get a bunch of retweets if you're just constantly bashing people. You can get a big following that way on social media. Don't matter if it's true or not. Personal gain, personal grievances. So personal prejudices, personal gain, personal grievances. People can hate other people. And because of that, they want to say false things about them in order to stick it to them. To get some vengeance on them. Or to make sure everybody else kind of knows what a dirtbag they are. You can bear false witness in order to destroy someone because you, you hate them. You read about that earlier as well in Matthew 26. The chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. At last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Where are you at, Jesus, with this claim? They hated Jesus because he was shining light on their sin and showing all of their corruption. They're like, we're going to shut him up. How we do it? Let's get some false witnesses to come in so we can put him on a cross. That'll shut him up. Do you think people can devise lies about others in order to make those people look bad and destroy them? Do you think that could happen in D.C.? In your home? In your school? I heard a story recently about, um, about a, a student relayed this, about a, a teacher who was not really a beloved teacher who took something off, took a paper off of a student's desk and put it on their, on their desk because they were either drawing something or writing something they weren't supposed to and he just did that. Well, the story began to spread that the teacher yelled at the student and that the teacher grabbed it off and embarrassed them and tore it up in front of them and put it in the trash can. None of those details were true. But students started making those things up and adding little bits on, and it mutated because they don't like the teacher. So they're going to take this teacher's name and reputation and just 
destroy it. And before a holy God, God says, that is wicked. I trust you can see ways that we might be tempted to do the same. What kind of people need a command like this? We do. People who are tempted to say untrue things about others in order to tear them down or because we assume things or it's kind of fun, whatever it may be. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, then finally, how should we obey this command? Spend a few moments meditating on some ways that we can apply this to our lives. I want to go ahead and set you up for just disappointment. We are not going to hit on everything. There are a billion things you could do in this. I encourage you in the days ahead to talk more about all the things that were missed. You can gossip about this sermon all you want in good ways. <laughs> uh, you can point toward, toward other things, but I pray that what's here will be helpful. Before we address false witness specifically, let's address lying generally. God's people must not be liars. He speaks truth. He is truth, and he speaks truth, so we must do the same. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. You see how he roots not lying in being like a right image bearer? Put off the old self that was corrupt. Put on the new man that's being made after the image of God. Put off lying, put off the deceitful ways that are more like Satan than God. Do not lie. There's a million things we could say about do not lie. Do not lie. It's a sin. There you go. Talk about it over lunch. But one question that came up is what about gray areas? So I got numerous emails on this, so I figured I'd just do this so I don't have to answer all the emails. What, what about... What about the gray areas of lying? In order, basically, how do you, when lying aims to deter evil, you think of maybe Rahab lying about the spies, the midwives lying about the birth of the Hebrew children. You think of, of Jews being hidden during the Holocaust. I just want to say Christian thinkers over the years have certainly discussed and debate and good people land in different ways. I'm going to say it's certainly a case-by-case basis. Um, I, I personally do think that there are examples like those in Scripture where it's a life or death situation where, um, yeah, de- deceiving evil people who are going to do wicked things, I think it's possible for a child of God to lie in those circumstances. That requires tons of nuance and tons of pastoral counsel. But let me go ahead and help you with one thing. If you start to think then, oh, okay, well, and here's, here's the first thing that came to mind is, well, then we should, it's probably okay for me to lie about this political candidate because they're, they're going to bring in, you know, communism or whatever it is. Or they're going to bring in whatever it is. I just want you to know that is delusional to start thinking like that. That do not, if you're looking for ways to lie and find excuses with God's word to do so, your heart is in the wrong place. Right now, none of us are facing the examples that we just read about where it's life or death for one of the people of God. So I, I want to give some, some liberty there, and this is why you need a good church community around you. Seek elders if you have specific applications that you're looking for. But God's people are to be a people of truth. 
We must be a people who use our words in ways that honor God and honor others because we remember that on the last day, we will stand before a holy, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-hearing God. And we will give an account for everything that we have ever said. Including that advice I just gave, which again, I want to say it's up for discussion, and I encourage you to talk to your people about it in the midst of application time. Jesus gave this warning in Matthew 12, 36. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Every, ah, oh, that guy's an idiot. Every retweet. Every little zinger in a blog post. Every little text about, yeah, she's like that. Every one of them. The Lord says, I see it all. This should sober us and help us to speak words that are true, words that honor God and our neighbor. I'm going to give you eight applications briefly. The first one's the longest. Hang with me. Speak neighbor-honoring words in court. Speak neighbor-honoring words in court or do not bear false witness in court. The reason I'm going to spend a little more time here is because I think this is the focus of the commandment. It's judicial language. God established courts and laws in order to guide and guard his people into the abundant life where truth and justice and peace are, are established in a way that helps life to, to flourish and to be enjoyed. Our judicial system was designed to discover the truth of disputed matters. Direct examination, cross-examination, Evidence, admission, all of that assist the judge or the jury in determining what happened and what needs to happen in light of what happened. Truth-telling is vital to that process, which is why lying in court, perjury, is a very serious crime. Perjury, if, you, if you're guilty of that in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia, it's punishable by some fines and up to 10 years in prison. It's a serious crime. Even, our, even our, our government knows that. So of all the people, the government and the courts should never have to worry about lying in court is who? God's people. You should know if you've got a believer in there that you can trust them. They're going to they're gonna come in. They're not going to show favoritism. They're going to they're gonna follow the law. Now, I realize in this congregation we have people serving in all sorts of different arenas. First of all, I want to praise God and pray for more people in the justice system. May it be flooded with believers who fear God and love their neighbor and see their neighbor as worthy of honor and care and love justice and want to see it brought about. May he raise up more. But recognize that if you are part of that system, that you must steward your position and opportunity with great trepidation. So if you are a law enforcement official, I want to say thank you. We want to exhort you, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Never plant evidence or make false or misleading reports. Do not misrepresent evidence to make an investigation seem stronger than it actually is. 
Do not lie to someone to coerce them to confess or to make a statement that is not true. Always tell the truth when you are called to testify on the stand, even if it helps the defendant. Do not hide statements that favor the defendant. Law enforcement officials, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Judges, do not abuse your position to further some sort of personal belief or ambition instead of applying the law honestly. Do not skew your decisions or pervert justice. Do not allow, we just heard commands about it, do not allow popular opinion to persuade your interpretation of the law. That is not your job. Do not impose a harsher sentence or write a decision that you think will help you to get promoted to a higher court. Do not accept bribes, no matter how appealing they may seem. Your job is to not bear false witness against your neighbor or allow it to occur. Prosecutors, do not file complaints that include false or misleading or groundless accusations. Do not make false statements about evidence and hope that the court won't notice or withhold evidence that could be favorable to the defendant at trial. Do not omit relevant documents from your response to a discovery request. Do not invite witnesses to testify falsely. Your job is to help bring about the truth. Witnesses, if you're called as a witness, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ask yourself, are you honestly reporting what you have seen, or are you using opportunity to testify as a way to bring about vengeance that you think needs to happen? Remember that you must tell the whole truth. If you are asked to identify a perpetrator, identify them only if you're confident that it is them. Never guess or assume. Do not omit unhelpful information when it's relevant. Tell only the truth. Do not fill in the blanks in your own memory and say something happened if you're not sure about it. Your job is not to speculate as a witness. Your job is to speak the truth. say thank you to the five or six people who helped me with some of those people in our midst who this is their job and are aiming to be faithful Christians in those arenas. Thank you. May the Lord mark the people of Delray Baptist Church who serve in these various arenas with righteousness, distinction for not being people who perpetrate false witnessing. That's your first application and the longest one about what happens in court. Everything else happens over coffee, in your community, or over the computer. Number two, they're all C's, yes. Uh, don't write them down. Number two, bear true witness about yourself. Very, very brief here. Bear true witness about yourself. In one sense, you're your closest neighbor. Bear witness about yourself. When you speak about yourself, do not twist things in such a way to make yourself look better. 
Beware of, of that. Resist this temptation. Especially when it comes to confessing sins. Guard against the self-deception that can come when you're talking with someone else about ways that you've sinned. And you can bear false witness about yourself to somebody else in a way that paints this whole other picture as to who you really are. There is safety in honesty. Do not minimize sin or distort the picture. Maximize what you didn't do. Speak the truth. You can talk about that more amongst yourselves. Number three, so speak uh, neighbor-honoring words in court. Number two, bear witness, false, true witness about yourself. Number three, be, or bear, be slow to share stories you aren't sure about. Number three, be slow to share stories you aren't true or you aren't sure are true. You can bear false witness without intending to do so. This is why you must be very careful about relaying stories that you are uncertain about. Maybe the source seems trusted, so you feel like it's okay to just post it. Maybe you just assume that it's true. Maybe you want it to be true. Listen, we are very temptable to making assumptions about others' motives for doing something or making inferences and interpretations about an event that happened and make a bigger deal about the interpretation than about the actual facts. Get a little spin on it, as you will. Everybody is temptable by that. Be very careful to not spread stories or entertain stories that you do not know to be true. I wasn't sure where to put this, but somebody gave me an example that I found very convicting about parenting. There's two kids in a house, and you walk in, and they're, they're going at each other, they're yelling at each other. It's easy for me to walk in and be like, I know what that one did, and I'm going to come in. And you start, rather than being like, okay, let's talk about what happened. Let me hear everyone's stories here. All right, let's pull out the video footage. <laughs> let's, what actually happened? Be like, I know it was that kid. That kid's been on, that kid's been losing their mind recently. I'm sure it was you. And like, does you always do this? And da da da. And you can, you can bear false witness against your children. Parents, I know it's tiring to do the investigative work and to pause and to listen and to say, let's talk about what happened and seek truth. But we need to be mindful to do so. Be slow to share stories that you aren't sure are true. There's such a, a temptation to share, isn't there? There's a power that comes from spreading stories. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. There's just something about being in the know that you get to share a little something with somebody. Man, it does something to you. acting like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got to guard your hearts against this. Beware in your homes, in your workplaces, on social media. If you don't know that it's true, don't say it. Number four, do not bear false witness by withholding helpful truth. Do not bear false witness by withholding helpful truth. Withholding true witness is a form of bearing false witness. Listen to this, Leviticus 5.1. If anyone sins in that he hears a public or he's, he's called to testify publicly, though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. 
If you know something's true and you don't stand up and say, actually, that is true. Or if you know something to be false and you don't stand up and say, actually, that's not true about them. If you know it and you don't testify to it, it's a way of bearing false witness. Think about, did you, I didn't even see it until we read it a moment ago. The context of Jesus being, having false witnesses against him, who else was there? Peter, three times, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. He wasn't bearing true witness about Christ. He was refraining from it, and it was a sin. This happens all the time on social media. I saw something a while back where somebody posted some, some scandalous thing about somebody, and it had like 15,000 retweets. And then, a couple hours later, they, they quote tweeted and said, uh, I need to say that what I said earlier was actually not true. I need to retract that. I found out some more information. 300 retweets. If you, if you lied about somebody, you've got responsibility to follow back up and say, I passed along something that wasn't true. Please forgive me for that. Number five, beware of speaking words that hinder love. Beware of speaking words that hinder love, or cool love, you could say. This aims a little more at the idea of gossip. So a false witness is sharing lies about someone else. Gossip is sharing truths about someone else that need not or probably ought not be shared. Do not share unnecessary information about your neighbor that would paint them in a negative light. I'm just saying it's true. It's true, though. Hey, do you know Mr. Smith? Man, do you hear about Mr. Smith? Did you know that where he moved from, he did this thing, and now he moved up here trying to get a clean start? Mm-mm. Or, hey, listen, I heard this thing about them. This is what they did, where it's just unnecessary information. But because you like to be in the know, you want to relay it. We could be tempted to speak unflattering things about others that are not true. Why would you be tempted to do so? Maybe to punish them, put them down. There's lots of different reasons. Friends, be very careful when you relay something about other people that it's not going to cool other people's love unnecessarily about them. 1 Peter 4.8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 19.11, it is glory to overlook an offense. If you know something that's not exactly encouraging about someone else, be very careful how you steward that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what I'm, I want to be very clear, this is not a call to hide evil. So if there's someone, if there's something that someone, if someone has sinned, in a way that is dangerous, maybe abusive, or whatever it may be, this is not a call to just overlook it. Evil needs to be dealt with. That's why we have courts. But we need to be careful about other people's stories generally. Let me ask it this way. Are other people's stories safe with you? Or are they always going to be in danger of you sharing little bits with others? As one friend said about his church, may DRBC be the place where gossip goes to die. May it die among us. You need to be able to trust one another. Whatever you get from sharing, it's not worth it. 
Number six, beware of friendships based on false witnessing. Beware of friendships based on false witnessing. There's few things that connect two people like, hey, let me tell you a little story about somebody. And then you always kind of got that thing. And if you can always just feed that thing, man, it keeps you together. But just remember, those who gossip with you will gossip about you. Proverbs 2019, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Proverbs 11:12, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. It is dangerous to make friendships with gossips. It is not good for your soul. They will drag you into temptation. It takes courage to say, hey, listen, I think we, I think we need to, to probably stop talking about this. That's hard to do. It's not, and, and if that happens and you're in that situation, don't get all self-righteous and be like, oh, well, looky, who's, you know, like, no. Evaluate and be like, you know what, you're right. Let us be correctable in that. Beware of friendships based on false witnesses. Number seven, bear true witness about spiritual matters. Bear true witness about spiritual matters. We are in a day where, we were in a day before where people seemed to cover up things about leaders because they were afraid of them. We are in a day now where everybody wants to expose everything they can about leaders. I just want to say be careful about both of those errors. I have seen Christian leaders that I know personally, stories written about them that are just not true and are believed widely. And it has absolutely cratered their ministry. And it's hindered people from hearing God's word through a very faithful servant. And people who took part in that will answer for it on the day of judgment. You need to be very careful about speaking against people who are faithfully serving God just because there's their stuff. Now, again, there's some pastors who need to be removed and there's some pastors who do some wicked things. So this is not a call to hide stuff. But you've got to be, you've got to rightly represent people. Same thing with fellow Christians who have different views. Do not be of those who are always demonizing people who are different than you. That's not bearing true witness about them either. Just because they differ from you on, on whatever it may be, climate change or social gospel or whatever Bible translation or whatever it is you want to do, doesn't mean they're automatically of Satan. Be very careful about demonizing one another. This is also true in evangelism. Bear true witness about spiritual matters. We're called to be witnesses of Christ. So in your, in your conversations with people, do not lead people to believe that they're okay with God if they're not. Now, there's some wisdom and the patience and the way that you do that. But there is a, there's a thing in our day that you just don't want to be those kinds of Christians who, who are going to seen as bigoted and hate speech and always kind of saying what's wrong. Now, some of you over here, all you do is love to, you know, like, chop, 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 get them all. You know, you're the truth guy or the truth girl. Well, you need a truth, yes, but tenderly, gently. But there's a very strong temptation in our day to withhold truth because it's going to sting. And you can bear false witness about others before God and whether they're right with him or not. Be very careful. There's many other things we could say, but we're going to end on what we must say here at the end, the last one. When you bear false witness, look to Jesus. When you bear false witness, look to Jesus. Psalm 15 says, O Lord, who shall 
sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue or does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend. I don't know about you, but I read something like that after a message like this, and I think, there's no way I could ascend the hill of the Lord. I have lied, I have slandered, I have gossiped, I've, I've, I've sinned in probably every one of these ways. Most of us have, if we're honest. But the good news of the gospel is there is one to whom the law looked, pointed to. His name is Jesus, who came and who never slandered, never bore false witness, never lied, always told the truth. And then he himself was slandered. The one who never slandered was slandered. He was betrayed by false witnesses. He was put to death by false witnesses for the sake of false witnesses. He ascended another hill, the hill of Calvary, where there on the cross he received the judgment that you and I deserve for all of the ways that we have ever borne false witness. And then he went into the grave. And then he rose from the dead three days later and he promised that no matter where you've been, what you've done, or what you've said, that if you will bear true witness before him that I am a sinner and I have sinned against you and I have sinned against my neighbor, and you will bear true witness before him that I need forgiveness and I need mercy, that he will give it in full. And that he will forgive you and cancel the debt and that now he will witness on your behalf because you will be clothed in his righteousness and you will be able to stand on that last day when all secrets are revealed. Not because of how you had it all together, but because of how he was perfect in your place. The law is intended to point you to Jesus who always did it right and died for all the ways we got it wrong and then rose that we might have hope. And then he gave you his spirit if you are a believer. He gave you his spirit who will produce the fruit of self-control. You are able, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, to not bear false witness, to not gossip, to not slander, to not lie. He will help you. And this is where I now hand it to you as the church, to have conversations with one another about this over lunch and in the days ahead, to help one another to walk this out in a way that God will supply mercy for. May Delray Baptist Church be a place where there's always true witnesses, where gossip goes to die, and where sinners like us lean heavily upon Jesus. He's our only hope. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come before you and we thank you for this word about how we use our words, and we pray that you would help us to receive it and believe it. We pray that you would forgive us for all of the ways that we have fallen short and we pray that you would help us to be a people who speak the truth in love. Would you help us to look to Christ, who is the true and better one, who did it better than we ever could have, the one who now we can stand on as our solid rock of righteousness. So, Father, as we sing about that, we pray that you would help us to sing words that are true. And, Lord, we pray if any of us need to go make some wrongs right after this, would you help us to do so? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.